Well, we began our study of Psalm 3 last week, and um, we were recognizing coming into it that, you know, we come into the Lord's house dragging, dragging ourselves here some days, and there's just all sorts of stuff coming with us, and it's on our shoulders, and we're, we're in trouble, we're struggling, we're wrestling. Some of us are sick, some of us have family members who are not doing well, some of us are in relational turmoil, some of us are in financial difficulty. All sorts of things, right, we bring in with us, all sorts of troubles. And, and so what we started into is knowing that David was in significant trouble, very real trouble. And we spent the time talking about that last week, a little bit about the depth of his trouble. But, but just quickly stated, his son Absalom is trying to kill him. And not just Absalom and take over his throne, not just Absalom, but all the people that Absalom had joined with him. So, so there were many foes. That was verse 1. Oh Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising. Literally, many rising against him. Now, for you and for me, we might not have foes like that where there's an army coming against us, but let me tell you something on the other hand. There is an army coming against us as those who are in Christ. And not just that spiritually, but there are many things coming against us all the time, whether in the culture or whether inside of our own bodies, or like we mentioned last week, just thoughts that swim about in there, and we take heed too much of those things. So we talked last week specifically about point number one, and that was from verses one and two, that David spoke to God of his trouble. Um, he was being told that God didn't care, that God was angry, that God uh, was withholding and would continue to do so, that there would be no salvation, no deliverance for him, but he ran right away to prayer anyway and speaking to God. And so point one was that. Now we're going to get to point two, three, and four this morning and hit on a couple of application points. And then, Lord willing, we'll spend some time singing again and praying together. The second thing, David did in this prayer that is to kind of inform our prayers amid trouble. Spoke to God. Second, he confessed the God whom he knows. Like these children knew these things right away. We knew what they were too, right? Many things we know. He confessed the God whom he knows, verses 3 and 4. He says, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. All his enemies, all the voices were saying that God won't deliver him. Yet what does he say? He says, y'all don't know, my God is Yahweh. And I know my God. And so you can... You can yell all you want. I mean, he feels all the weight of the yelling, all of all the different thoughts, but he's like, I, but, but I know my God. He, he knows him not simply in some general, you know, happenstance kind of manner. He knows him. He really knows him. Now, it just begs the question, doesn't it? Do we know him like that? Not David. Do we know God like that? When we're in the midst of trouble, when we have all these voices around us, do we simply know our voices, know the multiple voices so well that we're so familiar with that it drowns out anything we know or very much of what we know about God, or do we run straight to the reality of who God is, who we know him to be? Now, what sort of God is it that David knows? According to the text, he's a protecting God. He's a protecting God. He's a shield about him. 
So picture it, right? You think about David. He's got an army coming against him. Absalom, what does he need more than anything? And David's thinking about physical and emotional and psychological, but, but primarily likely physical protection. So, so my Lord is a shield about me. Nothing he believes will touch him that isn't meant by God, his faithful God, his good God, to touch him. He knows that God is in control of all things, that God is the one who has a shield about him. Do we believe that God has a shield, that God is a shield about us? Or do we tend to listen to the voices that say, God's nowhere around me? He's a protecting God. David knows him to be so. He is a sufficient God. David is not filled with a sense of his own worth and glory. He certainly could have been. There's plenty of glory in this world for David to have. But he sees and knows God as the sufficient one. He, David was known as a humble man, right? Not, not always, but he was, a, he was generally regarded to be a humble man. He was humble because David, the, the king, believed in a sufficient God. He was the king. I'm, I'm a king, but he is the king. He's the sufficient one. He is my treasure. He is my crown. His kingdom, David's kingdom, may be taken from him, but nobody can take the kingdom. You get it? He, he, he knows this. He knows this so well, so clearly, that no one touches Yahweh. I mean, touch me, touch me, and God's kingdom continues. It expands, and of course we know that throughout history, but David, in this, in this significant turmoil, he knows God to be a sufficient one. David knows God as his real treasure. God is not a possibility for David. God is not a list of theological truths that he learned in school somewhere from his parents. David knows his God. He has a deep, fulfilling, should we say intimate relationship with the God of gods, Yahweh. And he knows him to be sufficient. So take my glory away, totally fine. Your glory, <laughs> you're my glory. They can't steal that. They can't steal you. They can't take that away. You're my glory but he's also a defending God. Now, I'm not sure that David has this in mind, but I was struck by the fact that when Israel was being delivered out of Egypt and they were running for their lives, there was this glory cloud of God's very powerful and spatial presence with them that appeared at precisely the right time to defend them, to lead them and to defend them, to lead them by day and to lead them by night and to defend them all the way along this path. David knows this. God will never let his people go. He doesn't just chalk that up as one thing that he learned in a catechism somewhere along the line. He knows this to be true. He's seen it. He's aware of history. He understands that God defends his people. Well, he's also a restoring God. He lifts David's head that had been bowed down in discouragement and fear. You're the lifter of my head. Do you need your head lifted this morning? 
What day goes by that we don't need our heads lifted? Now, heads lifted where? Heads lifted from looking at our feet. Heads lifted to the things around us. That's, that's not enough. <laughs> heads lifted up. Psalm 121, right? Where does my help come from? Uh, I lift up my eyes to the hills. That's where my help comes from. He is my glory. He is my shield. He is my defender. He is my lifter, the lifter of my head. He is a restoring God. He knows that this is precisely what God will do because God has done it time and time and time and time before. He's done it before. He will do it again. In the moment of this, of this turmoil, you know, his head is down. He's discouraged, but he's, what, is, what has happened? He's spoken to God. He takes it to God, and he says, you, you, are, you are the lifter of my head. Now, he, he lifted his head, right? Physically lifted his head. He, he participated. He, he went to God. He trusted God. He had, he had, had this background of knowing about God and, and knowing God well and, and being taught and all those kind of things, so that in this sorrow, he lifted his head to look at God and to talk to God about his troubles, and he starts declaring who God is. You're this, and you're this, and you're this, and you're this, and this is who you are to me. You are the lifter of my head. You think about the passage in Philippians that talks about how uh, we work hard, right? We work hard. We lift our heads, but it's God who works in us to do it. He's a restoring God. Well, he's also accessible. He's an accessible God. David cried, and, and he knows that God has heard. His prayer was vocal. His prayer was desperate. And his prayer was from far away from the holy hill at the time, um, where, where, the, where the prayers would be said most often on the holy hill in Jerusalem at the temple. And he was far away from that place at that very moment, but his prayers ascended to the holy hill nonetheless. Because God will not contain himself to a location. This is the God that David knows. I read a story this, well, two weeks ago now that from um, a book called Flags of Our Fathers. James, James Bradley writes about this famous photograph of the Marines uh, raising the American flag on Iwo Jima in 1945. You all have that picture in your head, you know, all those. It appeared evidently in numerous papers, including a hometown Texas newspaper being perused by a man named Ed Block. Ed Block was home on leave from the Air Force, and his mother, Belle, walked by, and she glanced at the photograph, and she pointed to the Marine, thrusting the pole down in the ground, and told Ed that that was his brother, Harlan. And Ed refuted his mom. He said, look, there's no side view, mom. You have no idea that that's your son. There's, there's no way she could know that that fellow was her Harlan. It, they didn't even know he was, it, where he was at the time. And it, they had no idea that he would be on Iwo Jima whatsoever. Uh, but Belle, the mom, was sure, and she strode into the kitchen, and she simply said, I know my boy. Actually, that figure was identified as a guy named Henry Hansen, but Bell Block, the mom, was still unmoved. Sadly, the, the family soon received word that Harlan had, in fact, been killed in action on Iwo Jima. 
And in 1947, a few years after the war, after additional testimony, they received notification of a correction. Henry Hansen had not been in the picture, but the lad aiming the pole into the ground was, as you might imagine, Harlan Block, her son. And Bill Block did not respond except by saying, I know my boy. That's the sort of thing David says in verse 3 and 4. Amid the significant trouble he faced, he declared out loud, I know my God. So attack me. All this stuff is happening around me. I know my God. He is the lifter of my head. He is my glory. He is a shield about me. And not just declaring it this way, but saying, you, O Lord, are this. I know you to be this. You are this, and you are this, and you are, you are defender, you are my protector, you are all that. I know him, and no matter what the enemy says, no matter us, you know, you don't get a side view, you don't know what's going on, you don't know who it is, you don't know he's going to save you or not, you say, I know my God. In the face of very real and credible threats and theological opinions of his enemies, David turns his eyes to the all-sufficient God who protects and defends and restores and is always entirely accessible to his people, like we've spoken of week after week here. Now, we come to Mount Zion, to the very throne room of the Lord by the blood of Jesus. Not just, not just here, every day we have confident access to the throne room, but when we're together, we're coming to Mount Zion to sing and to worship. We know this, it's entirely accessible to his people. And it was his God-centered focus that kept him steady amid the trouble he continued to face. And so it's imperative then, friends, that we prepare for suffering by getting to truly know and trust our God. You might, might be doing just really well right now. Utilize the time to really get to know your Lord. To know that God is your refuge and strength now, not just then. A very present help in trouble, so that, Psalm 46, 2 and 3, you do not fear, though the earth gives way. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, you know God. You know he is unshakable. You know he is absolutely trustworthy. So when, when the time comes, when all the questions are there, and you're just like, where is my God? Well, I know where he is. He's on his throne, and he's with me all the way along. I don't have any clue why he's doing this in my life right now. I don't know the answers, but I know my God. Friends, David knew his God. How well do you know him? And how are you getting to know him better? He's told God of his troubles, and he's filled his vision with the unchanging character of his God. And then what comes next? After he talks to God and speaks of his troubles and declares who he is, well, the next thing is he enjoys peace amid the trouble. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. In these two verses, we see the tangible results of David's real, vibrant faith trust in God. He's being pursued. He's running for his life. He's hiding in caves and wells and all those sorts of things, and he can, yet he can lay down somehow and rest his head on account of all that he knows God to be. Because you, O oh Lord, are what you are, I can rest secure. You, you are the one who sustains. Me staying up fretting, it's getting me nowhere. 
But knowing that you have me, knowing that you are guarding me, knowing that you are the lifter of my head, knowing that you are the sufficient one, that you are my shield, that you hear me, that you see me, that you know me, that you are with me, well, I can sleep. And I can wake up without dread knowing the same. You know what it's like to wake up with dread, don't you? It's just another day. It's trouble. But you can sleep and wake because the Lord sustains you, just like he did David. Don't, don't minimize David's troubles here. It's tempting to do so. It, it must not have been that bad, you say. Maybe David was thinking a bit too positive, possibly a little bit too poetic uh, for his or our good, but his trouble was real. His life was on the line. There was, there was no guarantee he was getting out of this whatsoever. He Danger on all sides, voices from all around, including within, and yet he is not held in the grip of fear and anxiety in the face of what certainly seems to be an uncertain future. He goes to sleep, trusting God to sustain him. He wakes up with the knowledge that he who sustained him through the night sustains him yet during the day, no matter what comes. Day or night. I mean, night brings with it more opportunity for thoughts, doesn't it? You lay in bed, and men. You can't sleep. You wake up at 2 in the morning for whatever reason, and you lay there and you look at the ceiling, and your mind gets flooded. And things start to spiral down pretty fast. And the more the minutes go by and the spiral's going down, the longer those minutes are. And the more dread starts to come, the more anxiety starts to fill your heart and your mind, and all of a sudden, three o'clock, four o'clock, you're still staring at the ceiling, thinking about all the things that could go wrong. And there's plenty of things to go wrong. (laughs) Plenty of things to go wrong. But David, David takes these moments, and surely he's in the middle of his cave, sometimes winning the victory of sleeping, other times not so much maybe, but the reality is because he's a man like you and me. He's not like Mr. Successful Spiritual Man, right? He's struggles like you and I. And yet, in this psalm, he says, speak to the Lord my troubles, I declare who he is, and the result of that, in this cave, cold, wet, fear just outside the door, the threat of all the thoughts inside, and all those things, by God's grace and the Spirit's power, are pushed out and replaced with the sweet presence of the Lord, and he sleeps. David's relief hadn't come yet. Deliverance had not yet happened. The enemies were still all around. The voices were still loud. David didn't have peace from the turmoil, but he had peace in the turmoil. 
And he had peace in the turmoil because he knew his God and he knew God's plans will never fail and his kingdom is eternal and he's worthy and able to look after his own kingdom and then look after his own people. David knew. David had a God that he knew. David had a God whom he trusted to shield him and sustain him from life-threatening circumstances. Not, I shouldn't say from. Amid life-threatening circumstances. Nothing had changed. No cessation of hostilities. Yet we see that there is no seeming alarm in David, no anxiety keeping him up, just a freedom to be at peace amid the trouble. And again, how can you and I get to know this God so well that when troubles come, we can put our heads down and rest in God knowing that he sustains us entirely? Waking up amid the trouble that hasn't gone away, without dread, but in a sure hope, knowing that even amid the threat, God is on his throne and he has us in the palm of his hands. We, we know these things intellectually, right? But how do we really get there? How do we get there where we know, where, where we know that God is on his throne and that he's working on us and he will bring us home safely on that final day? Jude, right, 23. We, we, we know that in 24. Um, and then thinking about Philippians 1, 6 as well, being confident that he who began a good work in you will complete it on that final day, trusting in the God who has stated these promises, not just to make us kind of feel good a little bit, but promises to assure us that he's got us and he will keep us. And look, you might have a sense of agreement with some aspects of this, but you don't experience the same kind of rest that David did. What, what should you do? Well, certainly I'm not going to say that if you do such and such that you will sleep in perfect peace tonight. Read your Bible, take, take two Bible pills, and you will sleep in the morning or sleep through the night. But what I can say is that you can continue to take your burdens to the Lord over and over and over and over and over again because he welcomes us into his presence. You can know that. God never tires of us coming to him. Matter of fact, as we come to him, big smile on his face, because what does it state? It states, I know, he, I, don't know I don't know why, I don't know how it's going to happen, but I know if help has come somewhere, it's come from him. And I trust him. And you can continue to get to know the God who created you and is for you and the hope and the God that gave peace to David amid the storms, the same God you talk to and get to know and find rest in. So, so you take, take your troubles to him. Take your troubles to him at 2 in the morning, 3 in the morning, 2 in the afternoon, 11 o'clock in the morning, whatever, and spend time getting to know him. Listen, Bible reading. Bible, Bible reading. Let's, maybe just for a moment, let's just take the discipline of Bible reading out of the scenario for a moment and just say, how do you get to know God? We get to know God by listening to him. Lo looking with our eyes, listening with our ears to know him. It looks like coming here and being introduced to him again and again. Things that, things that we've heard time and time and time again and yet, and yet all of a sudden and one Sunday something is like you know, like, it's kind of the same old, same old for somebody and for the next person beside you. It's like life. And then the next Sunday, it's the other way around. 
God is always moving. God is always speaking. God is a very revelatory God. He speaks. He's a, he's a relational God, so get to know him through the word, through meeting together here, through Bible studies, through time together, praying over one another, praying with one another. May, may we never move away from the prescription of taking our sorrows to the Lord and growing to know him more. May we, may we not short-circuit the process the Lord has for us to know real peace, but press on in our faith and partnership with him. Fourth thing, David expects help from God. He just expects, expects it. He says in verse 7, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. And we can see that David's deliverance has not come even at this point, right? He has peace, but Absalom's still on the loose. And yet he is sure that deliverance is going to come. He, he, he calls of it. He wants God to act. Indeed, he expects that he will. And how will he do so? By, by removing the threat. By, by actually removing it. At, at some point, removing the threat. David is calling for God to intervene and judge those who've risen up against David, but not, not just against David, but against the kingdom of God. In fact, the humiliating strike on the cheek. Strike him on the cheek. Humiliate my enemy. Break his teeth. Like a wild animal, right? I think of... Um, was it uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer with the big white, the big white uh, hairy monster? And, and what did the, dent, the dentist, little, like, little, little dentist guy, he pulled all his teeth, right? And all of a sudden he was like, meh, 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 meh. It was like all his threat was gone. Um, this reality is like this, when an animal's teeth are crushed, they present much less, if any, threat. David considers deliverance and salvation in a broad way here that includes physical deliverance from the clutches of his enemy, Absalom. And we should not over-spiritualize it to only state that salvation that David's speaking of has to do with being made righteous with God through Jesus. This, this in fact, um, story of the Bible, but not the story of this psalm specifically. He, he needed physical deliverance. And certainly the other is true and gloriously true, but David's issue is not one of eternal salvation, but physical deliverance from the temporal trouble he's in. And he's expectant that the God who saves will precisely do that. He will deliver him from his trouble. Salvation or deliverance belongs to the Lord. Friends, do you need to be delivered from something? Who does deliverance belong to? Say it. God. Deliverance belongs to the Lord. It's what he does. He will remove the threat. And the fact is, until the threat is taken away, it's hard to feel secure. And that's the way it is with David, except far worse. For, for David to be delivered, his enemies have to be destroyed. And until that happens, there is no lasting security. I, I read a story last week also of this Burmese python. This python had accidentally been set loose in an Idaho apartment complex so it was like in a cage, I get, or in a, uh, not a cage, but a whatever, hopefully glass enclosure, and, but somehow it got out. And you might imagine the upset in the building. Um, 
they couldn't find it. So they called in police. They called in all these, all these people to look, and they looked, and they looked, and they looked for, um, it was like a 57,000 square foot complex among the walls and the pipes of all that. So they'd been looking for two weeks for this thing. Now, how in the world do you think all the people in that apartment slept for two weeks? You know? I mean, I check for bugs underneath my pillow every night. Now, we have somebody come in and spray like once a month. Um, I mean, they just did not sleep. So they've been looking for the two weeks. They finally found it in the ceiling in the apartment below the apartment that, the, that this snake was supposed to be in. So uh, once the python was found and taken away, I mean, the resident just simply said, well, I, I will certainly sleep better. And this is true of our deliverance as well. David was at rest amid the trouble that he was facing. He, he still wanted the trouble to be gone and to be gone quickly. And the only way for the trouble to be gone was if God removed it. God moved in, delivered him, acting for him in the crisis and amid the trouble he was facing. And he believed so strongly that God would do this for him because salvation belonged to God, that he trusted him to do just that. And we hear nothing of any sort of expectation of timing in David's psalm here. The timing of deliverance is entirely in our sovereign, sufficient, good, loving, kind, generous God's hands. And the one who knows his God, trusts his God for the timing of deliverance, whether it's immediate or in the future at some point, he, he trusts him because he knows that God has promised to deliver and he is always faithful to his promise. So he continues to ask. He, he, he comes and, and continues to plead. He, he knows that the moment God arises, deliverance is going to happen. God is not disinterested in our situation. God's very interested in our situation. God's lovingly caring for you amid your difficulty. And he's sustaining you and protecting you and delivering you. But continue to ask for deliverance. Continue to ask for deliverance. Continue to ask for deliverance. And when he delivers, it'll be like that. When he speaks the word, in your specific situation, in his all-wise providence, that deliverance is not delayed in the slightest. And friends, David has shown us how to pray amid serious trouble in this psalm. He's given us a template of sorts to follow. We, we tell Jesus of our troubles. We confess the God we know. We declare to him who we know him to be. We enjoy peace amid the trouble, and we expect that in his timing, deliverance is assured because deliverance and salvation belong to him. So we don't look elsewhere for deliverance. We look to him. And his blessing will be on the people. Now there are many in this church family, as we know, are going through significant difficulties. And we can come to believe that compared to others, when we consider our own troubles, we start to look out because we know each other here, which is good. We start to evaluate our own troubles and say, well, they're not as bad as their troubles. Who, who am I to complain? Well, you're you. Your troubles are ordained by God's troubles. They're real. Each of us have many foes. Enemies that lie to us, declare falsehoods about the God we profess. And like I said, the, the lies come from without and the lies come from within. 
Perhaps it's a health issue or a faith issue or a relational issue. Each of us have foes that threaten to undo us. So if you've believed on God and trusted in Him and you know Him, first thing to do, pray and wait. Pray and wait. Go to Him. It does not have to get that much more complicated than that. Go to Him. Tell Him of your trouble. Declare His glory and what you know Him to be and find rest for your soul as you cry out and await His deliverance in your specific situation. And certainly, rest will be elusive if you search for him or search for something, some, some sort of rest somewhere else. It's just going to be elusive. The answer is the Lord. The answer is in the Lord. Take it to the Lord over and over and over again. He's given you full access to come before him. His ears are wide open. His arms are open to you. He's welcoming you. Matter of fact, in your sorrow, there's this wonderful picture of fatherly care where in the middle of this sorrow, he's your shelter, he's your shield, he's the lifter of your head, and he is also your father holding you amid your sorrow. Ever-present. Second, consider his deliverance in the past. Consider how God has delivered you at other times. Consider how you might just be very unaware of how many times he actually has delivered you from something without you even knowing it. I mean, literally, we just kind of go through life thinking that we're just like lucky, lucky, oh, lucky, lucky, lucky that didn't happen, or something. We're just like, things are fine. And it's like, look, every day we're in significant potential trouble. But the Lord delivers us from so many things we will never know about. So just consider that reality. Not to sit and think about all that and, and walk around in fear. I'm just saying that the Lord is your shield. Cares for you. He knows you. He's protecting you. He's loving you. He's defending you all the time. It should equate into thanksgiving. Third, consider his deliverance at the cross. If you've trusted in Christ and you know you can be assured that the enemies of sin, death, and Satan all destroyed, they're all destroyed as the God of our salvation actually rose up and he struck Satan on the cheek and he struck death on the cheek and he struck sin on the cheek and he broke their teeth. He was placed on the cross for our sins. Finally, pray for one another. Y'all are doing this so well. I'm so thankful for you. David ends the psalm with a benediction. He knows that he's not the only one in trouble, so he says, let your blessing be on your people. Let your saving, delivering help flow to them in troubles. So plenty of us in this room come dragging all sorts of stuff, troubles into this gym, and we get to talk to the Lord Jesus about them. Individually, we get to do that together through song, through praying over one another. 